Welcome to Schneps Connects. This is Josh Schneps. I think everyone's recognized that over the last uh, eight to 10 years, the landscape of transportation in New York City and really around the world has changed dramatically with shared car services like Uber and City Bike, which is in New York City. The demand for alternative transportation was critical pre-COVID with traffic and congestion, but it's just important now as people want to be in open outdoor environment during the pandemic. And a lot of people are getting everything delivered to their doorsteps. With that demand and pressure, the New York City Council legalized electronic rides by e-scooters and e-bikes over this past summer. But that's really just the beginning of who's going to have superiority over the shared e-scooter market in the biggest city in the world. To discuss this along with operating a global company, we have with us today Wayne Ting, who's the CEO of Lime. Lime is one of the global leaders in shared e-scooters, e-mopeds, and the bicycle market. And they're currently in the race to operate their scooters in New York City. So Wayne, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Josh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So obviously, I want to hear all about Lime, but I always love to talk to dynamic business leaders. Uh, and you're running a company that operates on multiple continents. So could you just share a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into alternative transportation and being the CEO of uh, Lime? Sure. So I, you know, I've spent the, most of my you know, professional career in transportation of one kind or another. I, earlier in my career, I worked at Uber. You know, at the time when I joined, it was about 800 people. Um, and I think um, the idea of, of Uber at the time was, you know, is there a way for us to allow people to get hired cars in a more uh, easy, affordable way? And ultimately, you know, in its own way, reduce cars. I think, I think, I, I spent almost five years there. I was the, I ran the California business for Uber, which was where Rideshare started, was the biggest business for them for a while. Mm-hmm. And then there was a leadership transition and I became the C, uh, CEO's chief of staff, the new CEO's chief of staff. I then I, at some point decided I wanted to go do something new. I think Uber at that point had become quite a large company. And I, um, you know, I, around this time, 2007, 2008, you started to see this new trend around shared micromobility, lightweight, electric, green modes of transportation. And they're a very similar aim, which is something about our transportation system is broken. How can we fix it? And how can we fix it with something more affordable, more equitable, and more green? And I, I remember hearing about this and immediately was something that for me that just struck a chord. And so I joined uh, Lime uh, two and a half years ago, um, running the global operations um, so all the teams around the world, at the time, we were a much smaller company. Today, we're in 100 cities, 30 countries. You know, we, we're the world's largest e-scooter company, e-bike company. We just launched our e-moped. And, um, and about just under a year ago, I became CEO um, of Lime, which has been an incredible experience. I see my career as something that, that I've, I've always been committed to transportation, and not just about how transportation works today, but where can transportation go and how do we make that better? So I think most uh, New York City residents have seen uh, scooters zipping around, especially the e-scooters. But for those that really aren't familiar, walk through exactly how uh, Lime works and people access the, the e-scooters. Yeah, great question. So we're, we're an app-based uh, shared mobility company. So in terms, you know, if you're somebody who wants to access Lime, the first thing you've got to do is go uh, to either your Apple store or the Android store and download the Lime app. And once you download the Lime app, what you can you can either if if we're available in your city, you will either see a Lime e-bike or e-scooter or e-moped in your city, and you can simply walk up to it, 
or on the app, you have a map very similar to Uber or Lyft. The map will show you all the micro mobility around you. And then you can go and see how far it is from you and walk towards it. Once you get near it, all you have to do is to either scan the QR code or tap the, the scanner and we'll offer you a ride. Um, you can put in your credit card or if you have Apple Pay, you don't have to put your credit card. Uh, all you can do is use Apple Pay and you can take it anywhere you, you want. And once you get to your destination, you stop the, the scooter or e-bike, you park it in the right place. We ask you to take a picture to ensure that it's parked correctly and we end the trip. And so it is a true shared mobility in the sense that anybody can access it and it's at the ease of a touch of a button. Does the pricing vary city to city? Is it typically by ride, by time, by distance? Yeah, so we typically have a, a unlock fee. So usually that's a dollar. So a dollar unlock fee. And then we charge you by the minutes. Um, and the minute fee does differ um, based on cities, um, based on kind of comparable transportation. Of course, different costs of living means that we, we, have, we, we always ensure to pay our teams good, um, healthy living wage. And, and, and so, of course, so the cost of consumers can sometimes rise based on the cost of living in that city. But you, what you have is a, a dollar unlock and a permanent fee. And our average trip in the world is $3.56. Um, and it's uh, comparable with public transportation and certainly much cheaper than many, many alternatives out there. So I noticed on your website, you have a partnership with Uber. What does that entail? Yeah, so Uber is... Um, one of our biggest investors and in, in uh, they're on our board um, and we, you know, we're, we're, we've been uh, very fortunate to have their support. But in, in terms of what a rider would experience, uh, you know, we are integrated with Uber in many, most of our markets in the world. What that means is that you can access Lime either through the Lime app or if you already have the Uber app and you simply open the Uber app and you flip over from the car signal into the micro mobility signal. You can just rent a, um, a Lime e-bike or e-scooter directly on the Uber app. You don't even need to download the Lime app. And that way, what we're doing is making it simpler for riders' accesses. And I know a lot of times people complain, I have to put my credit card information in too many different apps. This also, of course, creates one last app you have to put your personal information into. So we talked a little bit about New York City, and they're getting prepared for what will be a pilot program. And there's obviously a lot of other companies that are vying to be a part of that program, uh, which is being um, run by the Department of Transportation of New York City. So I really would love to hear from you some of the ways that Lime would operate differently from its competitors and why you think you'd, Lime would be best suited for the needs of New York City. Yeah, great question. You know, I think one thing is we've actually been in New York City already. In fact, in between 2017 and 2019, there was a early program. New York was actually one of the first cities to test a shared e-bike program. And Lime was operating in um, the North Shore of Staten Island. We were in the Rockaways. And we had an incredible experience serving New York City then, over 300,000 rides. And we were focusing on neighborhoods, frankly, that were traditionally underserved by transportation, both paid transportation and oftentimes public transportation. And we learned a great deal. And so when we talk about coming to New York, our first answer is we've been here. In fact, we are the only operator vying in the upcoming pilot who's already served New York and served New York in neighborhoods where sometimes it's underinvested in. And, but beyond that, I would say we took the learnings we had in 2017, 2019, and we took it to the world. When, when we started in New York, we were a very small company. I think we were maybe in a, a half a dozen cities in 2017. 
We took that to 100 cities around the world, five continents, 30 countries. And um, we've done over 200 million trips since then. And we took all those learnings. And the question for us is, how do we take all the differences nation and cities and take the data and continuously improve our technology, our hardware, our operations? And today, I would say we are the best operator because of that experience, that global um, scale, um, that diversity of um, operational environments. We know how to operate safe, affordable micromobility better than anybody else. That's, I think, our number one differentiation. If, if there's something that's happened in the world, we've seen it. There is no city like New York. This is the greatest city on earth. But if there are cities like it, the Berlins, the Paris, the Seoul's, the Los Angeles, the Chicago's of the world, we're there. And we are the leading operator in all those cities. I think the second thing is because of our scale, we also are able to invest more into our hardware than anybody else. Um, we have the leading hardware technology. Our new generation four is the has some of the best safety measures. It rides unlike anything else. We allow it to light up at night to ensure that it's safe. That investment in hardware and software is unmatched. We, you know, I think we're, we're fortunate to be the largest scale. Therefore, incrementally, we can always invest more than our competitors. The last thing I would say is we're global, but we always have a local approach. I, I think it, it, it doesn't work if you're a transportation company, if you come in and you don't understand the needs of the local community. I, I had the incredible fortune of living in New York for a, a decade earlier in my life. And what you learn is that New York is not, New York is its own thing, but every neighborhood, every borough, every street has its own culture and you got to mm. respect that. And when we were approaching New York, similar to what we approach every city, we started by listening. We went out to um, community groups, we went out to accessibility advocates. We formed a accessibility advocate council to listen first, because we got to make sure when we come back to New York, it's our second time around, we do it with the respect that New York deserves. And we have that local approach everywhere. And all the plans we presented to the NYDOT starts with listening, starts with what we're hearing from advocates. And we're going to come to New York with that local approach. Are there any other lessons? Because obviously you address safety in terms of uh, the new generation of the scooter. Because I, I assume that safety is always kind of like a, a paramount concern of new markets when you enter them. Is there anything else that you've learned through operating specifically in big cities to be able to be both safer and operating more effectively that you haven't already touched on? Yeah, you know, I think safety for any transportation company and certainly for Lime is our most important priority. If we can provide a safe product, nothing else matters. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make our internal products safer? And one of the things you're going to see is that we're coming in with the best scooter, which we, we talked about. We're also coming in with new parking technology that ensures that our scooters are parked where they need to be. Because one of the things that causes complaints is that what people say, scooters are over our streets. Or um, when you talk to people who are vision impaired, they sometimes trip over a scooter. Or sometimes scooters are parked in ingress where people are who are in wheelchairs need to get in and out. One of the things we thought a lot about is using geofences to ensure that that never happens. We're also going to be launching with our um, a lock to technology. So every scooters, we are going to ensure, we're going to know if you locked it to something or not. Uh, if you didn't lock it to it, we're going to, um, we're going to send someone out to fix it and we're going to find the rider to make sure that it's parked in the right way. Um, there's other things that, that, that technology that we've been working on, including sidewalk detection. So we get to, because if you're on a sidewalk, your, your scooter is bouncing around. We capture all that data and we know if you're on a sidewalk, 
we can let the rider know, please get off the sidewalk because that's not safe. And we've invested in other things like helmet detection. We have technology, AI technology to say, are you wearing your helmet or not? If you're not, we can help you get on it. There's, a, there's dozens of other innovations, tech-led innovations like that around safety. But I'll also say this, safety with scooters and e-bikes can't just be the safety of the hardware. It also needs to be the safety of the streets because you know, an e-bike, an e-scooter only goes 50 miles per hour. And so when we're talking about the types of serious injuries that sometimes people bring up, it's almost never the e-scooter the, the e going 50 miles per hour, 20, 30 pounds hitting something. It's usually when the car comes in 5,000 pounds, 30, 40 miles per hour in that type of incident. And in the fundamental way, the most effective way to change that is through protective bike lanes. And we spend a lot of our time advocating cities to build more protective bike lanes. You got to ensure the streets are safe. This, this cars do not have a right to our streets. Um, and we have this vision to create a transportation alternative um, where we are demanding those streets to be shared and shared in a safe way. And, um, and we spend money, we spend time, we spend um, our attention advocating for, for public bike lanes. And I love the fact that the next mayor is gonna start with 250 miles of protected bike lanes already approved. So that is also critical to any conversation around bike and scooter safety. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of uh, the rules implementation are gonna be up to the city of New York, specifically if there are docking stations to be able to put the scooters. So obviously that uh, will hopefully be in the consideration because that's probably gonna be outside of the companies that actually operate versus the city itself. Um, talk to me about how the e-scooters have changed any of the landscape of transportation, any of the cities you serve. And also, you know, really the um, carbon footprint philosophy. Yeah, you know, I think our vision um, at Lime is we want to create a platform um, for that can serve all mobility under five miles. A platform for every single trip is shared, it's electric, and it's green. And, and the reason why we have this vision is because today's transportation system is broken. Um, if you look around the world, it is largely dominated by cars. And it's always done by personal car ownership. And the average American household has two cars. 96% of the time, a car sits idle because we actually don't need to use it often. This is why you walk into a city, it's filled with parking and, and its roads are congested. And 30% of the greenhouse gas in the world is produced by transportation. And it's not because people take too many buses. It's because people drive too many cars and trucks. And so when we talk about this climate crisis, and, and what are we going to do about it? We can't solve it if we don't have an honest conversation about transportation. And it's a hard one because Americans, we love our cars. I know New Yorkers have the world's greatest public transportation system, but many people still own a car. They still own a car in New York. And you look at the congestion that happens in a city, both from people living in the suburbs and people living in the city. It is a, a real crisis level problem. And on top of that, 30,000 plus Americans are killed each year by the car. And we don't even talk about it. We don't even talk about it anymore because mm -hmm. we just assume that's normal. Over 1 million people globally are killed by a car every single year. These are numbers that if, if, it was, if I tell you this on a, something else, we would be outraged. The opiate crisis kills about 40,000 Americans. Car is not that far off, but we don't even talk about it because we make the assumption that a car should be here and all the downsides to it we just got to live with it. This premise we challenge. We challenge the idea that we should be we should accept the incredible negative effects of the car's environmentally, human safety, congestion without 
a clear alternative. And this is what Lime offers. We want to go to cities and say, when you are looking at the transportation ecosystem, think about what else could be there. And public transportation needs to be the heart of any good transit um, policy. But public transportation is great for long distances. Where it fails is last mile, first mile. If you don't live right next to a bus stop or a subway stop, it's sometimes you have to walk too far and you can't get there. People actually drive to the subway stop or drive to the bus stop. We are the perfect complement to under five mile trips. And in fact, the most common place people use line um, is actually at public transportation stops. We think this is so critical because if you want a world without cars, you've got to give people alternatives. They're not going to not go to work. They're not going to not go see their friends. And, and we offer affordable, safe, equitable, and green alternatives. The average scooter and e-bike ride online is less than 5% of the carbon footprint of an equivalent car trip. So that's our vision. And the cities where we are already operational, you see that happen. In fact, you see people embrace micromobility in ways that no one would have expected. We started three years ago, and we've done over 200 million trips in those um, three years. It took Uber and Lyft the equivalent of five or six years to get to their first 200 million trips. Mm -hmm. And that's the impact. And a lot of those trips are people not driving, giving up their cars, using it as a complement to public transit. And when we do that, we believe cities become better, cleaner, and more equitable. Well, Wayne, that was a great background of the company and really the, the projection of the use. What do you find in terms of, you, obviously Uber is an investor, you were saying that it's available within their app. What are you finding with people that use e-scooters that also use uh, shared car services and or New York City, like a New York City taxi? Yeah, great question, Josh. We want there to be fewer car trips overall and you know, for Lime. And, and the most important thing is, you know, we, we start by saying we want, we believe the future of transportation needs to be shared, electric, and carbon-free. The first step is shared because the challenge with, with our transportation system right now is we are in a world where everyone believes I must own a car. I must own a car all the time just so that the couple of three or four percent of the time when I need to use it, it's there for me. And so what we think that, you know, in the future where people don't own a car, fewer Americans own a car, fewer people in the world own a car, they will then start to uh, prioritize public transportation and e-scooters. But it also means that there are instances where they're going to have to use a yellow cab or an Uber. And we think that's great. As long as what it's doing is it's actually reducing overall car usage rates. And so, you know, I, I think people sometimes ask me, like, what do you think the impact will be? I would say it could actually benefit um, kind of higher cars. But what we've got to ensure is that in aggregate, overall car trips go down. We're using more shared trips and we got to do more electric trips. One thing I'll, I'll one additional thing I'll say is um, a lot of the, the, the conversation recently, um, you know, in public policy and a lot of excitement in the stock market has been around electric cars. You see companies with no revenue, a picture worth tens of billions of dollars, wonderful. But, and that is really important. This move from gas to electric cars is super important, but it's not enough. And this is the piece of the public conversation that I think is missing. We are celebrating, we're moving from gas to electric cars. But the reason why cars consume so much energy is in part because it's gas. But it's far more because a car is 5,000 pounds. We use a 5,000 pound tank to move a 200 pound human. And if you don't <laughs> fundamentally solve that equation, 
even if you move to an electric car, you're still going to consume enormous amounts of energy. A lot of that energy in the United States comes from unclean sources. And so it's not enough to say electric. And, and I don't hear enough public officials saying this out loud. We have to change the types of vehicles we use. We have to use lighter weight, greener modes of transportation. Scooters and e-bikes and e-mopeds are part of those solutions. Um, and so I, I hope the future is more varied. I hope the future creates value for lots of other things. And I think we could actually ultimately benefit um, other higher cars. But the place where I want to see fewer, fewer cars owned by the average American family and more shared, more lightweight, more electric. Well, I love your passion and I love uh, your goal. It's obviously something that, uh, that I think a lot of people should strive to live a more green life. Um, I have to ask you, this, this has been a tough year for everybody personally and professionally, and you obviously operate a, a big company over, um, over the entire you know, uh, globe. What are some of the life lessons or business lessons you potentially could share with our listeners? I feel like we've all taken something out of this past year, whether personal, professional, or a combination of the two. So I would love to hear from you, you know, anything that you could share with our audience. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's it's a it's a great question. It's a, it's definitely been a very um, difficult year. I mean, I think you know if you're if you're somebody who's running a small, medium sized business, or you're somebody who is a service worker, it's been incredibly tough. Um, and I, I know for me personally, I think that there have been moments where it's been very hard on life. I think the beginning of COVID, people stopped leaving their homes. If you don't leave your homes, transportation companies don't do well. Restaurants mm -hmm. don't do well. We saw a 90% plus decline in our revenue in March and April. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, I always say, you know, there's that quote that Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I mean, we built a plan mm -hmm. for, for 2020. We had this incredible plan. And then something so unexpected happens. And it's not just us. I, I realize we're, we've been very fortunate. It's been that unexpected impact has been true for so many people around the world. I, I think the thing that was most amazed me was that when we had to come back, we had to make some hard choices on personnel. We had to make some hard choices around um, where we operated. What was most amazing was how much when our team, like how do we stay optimistic in the face of adversity? How do we, how do we ensure? And I think one of the things we talked a lot about Lime was optimistic leadership. You know, it's easy to stay optimistic when everything's great. That's just called living. The moments where you're tested is when things going gets tough, how do you stay optimistic? That is the test of a great team. That is a test of a great company and a great person. And, and it's hard. And it's hard because what you have to do is to, is to both. It's not about being optimistic. It's not about denying and lying to yourself. Being optimistic is about recognizing where you are and the challenges, but believing that tomorrow could be better. Believing that by your work you do can make an impact on the outcome tomorrow. And the incredible thing I saw at Lime was how our team stayed optimistic, even through the darkest moments where we didn't know if we're going to have the revenue, if we're going to be back um, on the streets, the team pulled together because they believe in the mission of what we're trying to accomplish at Lime. And people worked overtime. People gave their hearts to keep this company going. And we are in a stronger position than we've ever been. We delivered a profitable quarter, but it wouldn't have happened without that optimism. And I, I think about this year where there's so many reasons to be pessimistic. And I see people around the world. I see the, vis the visions and all the visuals in New York of people clapping for um, 
essential workers. That's the type of optimism that carries us through. And that's the thing that's really, for me, um, what I what I see a witness and that's made me most proud of the work we did this year on Lime. I love it. Well, Wayne, it's been a pleasure having you on and getting to know you and Lime a little bit better. And I hope I'm able to take a, a Lime from my uh, home in Williamsburg, Brooklyn to downtown Brooklyn, where I work. So, you know, it's a great example of it's not far, but, you know, taking public transportation is really difficult in some cases, even if it's just a couple miles apart. Yep, Josh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's been such a wonderful uh, time. And, and thank you for covering New York in the way you do, because it's such an important to make sure that we have honest, direct conversations about our city. So. Why don't you share with us, you know, some of the things that you would implement if you were to start in New York City? How about that? I think one of the things that we're going to be doing differently um, and that we're really proud of in New York is that we're going to be hiring up to 40 full-time living wage um, workers into our warehouse. And we're going to be focusing on from the local communities, um, working for a CEO and Bronx Works to ensure that we're hiring from people who live in the community, know the community. In fact, one of the key um, focus areas we're going to be um, working with CEO on is um, finding workers who are formerly incarcerated. Um, it's something that we found a lot of success um, in other markets um, where people aren't being given a second chance. And sometimes we ask, um, why is recidivism so high? And, and oftentimes you hear back is that we go out and we have a hard time getting back on our economic feet, back into good living wage. And so when we think about coming to New York um, and what we learn from um, other places is that there are great ways to hire incredible workers who have been through that experience. And so, you know, in some markets, we use um, gig economy or hourly workers. In New York, we're going to be focusing on full time. And I think I'm hoping to learn from our, our time in New York and maybe even take that uh, model to other cities. But it's a big commitment that we're making. And we're going to continue as we scale and grow with this pilot. We're going to be hiring more full time workers so that we are bringing economic opportunities to the communities that we serve. Terrific. Thanks, Wayne. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. 